Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 179 of the podcast. It's the 5th of June, 2019, as I record this intro. And this week, Joan Concilio joins me to share some of her family's wonderful unschooling stories. We dive into her journey to unschooling, the learning that's happened along the way, the profound changes it brought to their lives, and the deep connections that it forged. She also talks about what it's like to live in a highly regulated state and how unschooling can still fit right in. It wasn't something that I needed to do, so I really appreciate her sharing her experience in detail. As a personal update, it's been a pretty low-key week. I've got three unschooling books with three different authors in various stages of development for Forever Curious Press, and I'm loving that work so much. And this weekend marks our 28th wedding anniversary, so we're making some plans to celebrate. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Christina Fajardo. Hi, Christina. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it is integral to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Joan. Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Joan Concilio. Hi, Joan. Hey, how's it going? It's going wonderful, thanks. Uh, Just as a bit of background, Joan and I connected online a few years ago, and I've really enjoyed glimpses of her family's unschooling stories from afar. So I'm so excited that she agreed to come on the podcast and share a closer look with us. So to get us started, Joan, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Sure. So um, there are four of us in my house right now. We live in Pennsylvania. So there's myself. I am 36. I just recently completed a master's degree in public health. I work full-time as a web developer. I study Taekwondo. I just got my second degree black belt last year. I like scrapbooking, stay <laughs> uh, busy, obviously, like that's a thing. Um, and I do a lot of write, writing. Um, I'm a freelance writer. I used to be a newspaper editor and writer, so I kept in that business once I left it. Um, so I just do a lot of things like that, a lot of online stuff. My husband, his name is Dan. Uh, he is 30, I think about that, 32. Uh, he and I have been together for about five years. And we just got married earlier this year. And he uh, is also a web developer. And we, besides doing our full-time web development business, we have a freelance web development business as well. So um, we like that. That's a lot of fun. He starts his master's degree later, well, in June. So he starts that very soon. So now he's 
felt like for me to be in school the last three years. So that'll be fun. Um, we have, so I have one child. Um, my child is Asher, who is 19. Uh, those of you who maybe have read our blog on school rules may have been familiar with Asher as Sarah. Um, Asher came out as a transgender guy this year. And so that's been a big, um, it's funny. It's, it was a surprise to actually no one who knew Asher. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, like totally. No, it was like, so, um, which is cool. Um, but it's a lot of stuff around like, so like we have our blog, which is on school rules and I'm going back through and changing all the references to Asher. He, and it's things like that. And there's like paperwork and you gotta go to the doctor and say like, can you please call me Asher? And it's just like stuff like that. So he's, does a lot of that on his own, but there's a lot where that's just a hard situation. And we'll talk a little bit about um, Asher. See, Asher's on the autism spectrum. Asher has ADHD. Asher has OCD. Asher has anxiety. And he's not those things. But when you get in a situation like this, which is a little stressful and you don't quite know what to do, um, those things don't matter most of the time in our life, but they do matter in situations like that. So our family is like really trying to provide a little extra support in that space. Because that's, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing mm-hmm. for anybody. Um, so then the other person in our house is actually Sarah's dad, who is my ex-husband, Chris. Um, we are still super close friends. He's friends with my husband and I. Um, and we all live together. When we got divorced, um, Chris and I decided we were going to keep cohabiting um, because we are friends. And because of Asher, because um, changes, change has always been hard for Ash, which is one thing. Um, and then Chris, he um, he works about an hour away from where we live. Dan and I also work about an hour from where we live in a different direction. And so just in terms of like who would see who when and when we do stuff together, we do stuff together, the four of us as a family pretty often. But when we could do that, if we were all all over the place, that would be pretty rough. So um, it's a little unusual, but it really works for us. Um, up until earlier this year, my 84-year-old mother also lived with us. She did pass away in April, um, which has been a little rough, but we were used to being a five-person family. And so that was, you know, kind of, that was just us and we really liked it. So now we're kind of adjusting to the new paradigm of it's just the four of us and it's, um, it's just very different. So we're getting used to that. We also have five cats. They're all stupid and weird, but we were <laughs> We love them. We used to have a dog and there's a campaign to get another dog and I can't deal with it. So um, beautiful dog. He was a golden doodle. We had him for 14 years. He grew up with Ash. Best dog in the entire world. There's a golden doodle in our neighborhood that we like hang out with and pet. And we're just like, oh, we need to get another doodle. We need to do this. And I'm like, I can't. Like I just can't. <laughs> so, so that's where we are on the dog. But yeah. that's us. That's who we are. Um, Chris, my ex-husband, is a newspaper editor. I should mention that's what he does. Um, he also is what's called an ephemerologist, which is somebody who is interested in old books and paper. So ephemera is like paper things like menus, receipts, postcards, things that most people don't keep, um, the ephemeral. And so he actually has a side project where he finds and writes about these things. So he will find a photo at a yard sale of a family from the 1800s and figure out who they are and post a book write a blog post about their genealogy and stuff like that. And his favorite thing to do is like reunite people with their stuff. So he'll like give that to their great grandkid or something. So it's like a super fun project. And it's interesting because things like that, um, I'll, I'll talk a little about unschooling, but 
we all, we're all people and we all have interests. And so that's really been a big part of like kind of our unschooling journey is like, we're doing this stuff and it, you know, just kind of all works together. The other thing is that as a group, um, the, our other big side project is we run a nonprofit where we give away stuffed penguins and it's called penguins for everyone. And that's pretty fun. And again, that's the thing we kind of all do together as a family. We have a board of directors. We're registered 501c3. So we like went through that process and we, um, we have a process for how we choose people to give penguins to, and we have requests from all over the world and we ship things and we, you know, like we maintain social media presence for that. And Ash is a big part of all those things. So it's just, I don't know. It's just another fun thing that we kind of all do together. So Whew. that's a good summary of us. Like, woo. Well, thanks so much for going into that detail. That's amazing, Joan. Like, I love how you guys are just making this work best for you guys, right? Exactly. It doesn't matter what it looks like to other people, although, I mean, it looks amazing <laughs> from the outside. From the thing, like most people, like it's funny because we were not nervous exactly because we've never been people who care what other people think very much, obviously. Also, for those of you, if you're watching this on video, I have green hair, um, but, you know, like Pam can see that. But, um, but like... We've never been people who've been like, oh, this is so non-traditional. Like, ooh, what will people think? We're kind of like, yeah, we're just over here kind of doing our thing. And if you don't like it, well, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not sorry. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, That's and I love it. the way that, you know, you guys deciding um, to, to all be together in the same house, doing, you know, doing things together because that, that supports Asher as well, right? Yeah. And exactly. And also, I, I love that you brought up that it's a stressful time now. And when you have some challenges, they come in waves too, don't they, sometimes? And when one thing gets stressful, other things get exacerbated and being extra um, cognizant of that, but supportive of that, you know, and just, just having that being part of how your life flows. I thought that was amazing, so... Thanks for mentioning that. (laughs) So let's get to the unschooling bit. How did you discover unschooling and what did your family's move to unschooling look like? So um, the cool part of our story is that I discovered unschooling before I knew what unschooling was because I was homeschooled when um, fifth, sixth and seventh grade. I started homeschooling in fifth grade. I was a really weird kid. I was gifted, which is one thing. um, But I was also just, different. Like I just had a very different personality. I was younger. I had started school early and been accelerated a grade. And so by the time I was, so when I was in third grade, I was six years old. Um, so that's not like garner you a lot of friends. Um, and like the desk was too big for me. So I like sat on my feet cause I couldn't see like just weird stuff. Right. So, um, when I was in fifth grade, my parents started homeschooling me. And at the time, um, so this was 80, what year am I thinking of? Maybe like 89, 90-ish. Um, very different situation. We have so many online resources today, things like that. There are so many more curricula that you can buy if you're into curriculum. Um, there, there's just a lot of stuff out there. Um, oh my gosh, my mother would have died if we had pictures. <laughs> um, but so we didn't have those things. 
And so what my mom would do would be go couple together things like, okay, you're really interested in math. So like, let's find, and she didn't care, like, what's the fifth grade math look like? She's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, algebra. I love algebra. You're weird. So she, she passed that off to my dad. She was like, you deal with this. Um, So they, you know, they kind of found things and they found me. I was really into math and computer science at the time and computer science at the time was ma- big mainframes that take, take up a whole room and places were still using like um, big floppies and sometimes punch cards and stuff. And so they found me a guy that my dad knew who essentially ran a computer setup for a large company. And he would take me with him to this gigantic like server room and like show me how stuff worked and, and like teach me those things. And it never occurred to me, it was funny because we did, um, so we live in Pennsylvania and I'll talk about that a little later, but Pennsylvania has some documentation requirements. And my mom was documenting all this stuff and I got really irritated because she would document everything I did at school. And she's like, this is school, that's school, this counts as school. And I was like, just let me do a thing. Why does it have to be school? But as a homeschooling parent, I was like, (laughs) he was on it, man. Like she got it. but so I, I had this background where I, first of all, um, was, was able to pursue the things I was interested in. I had parents who were actively putting things that I might be interested in in my path. So like strewing, we talked about that, right? Um, and fundamentally, I had a, the say to make a lot of choices in my own education. And one of those was um, my father passed away when I was in seventh grade. And so... Um, my mother, I remember I said she like divested math to dad. Um, so she was, um, so my mother was 47 when I was born. I was adopted. Um, and so she graduated high school at a time when women had business math at best. Um, she had had no algebra, no geometry. Um, she was an amazing bookkeeper and accountant, super smart lady. But she just had no background in any of that. And she knew that's what I wanted to do. My undergrad degree is actually in math. And she knew that's what I wanted to do. And so she put it to me and she's like, look, we can do this. I will get you a tutor. We will figure out like a correspondence school. We will do whatever you want if you want to stay at home. But she's like, I feel like I'm going to hold you back. Do you want to go to public school, go to high school and get the things that, that they can do there? Like we understood college scholarships. We understood advanced placement. And she's like, I just can't. Like there's, there's tons of options now if that comes up in a homeschooled student's life, but there weren't that. Yep. And she didn't you have to do this or you have to do that. She was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, you could give school a try. Um, so, so that's a really long way of saying I was exposed to those concepts and I was, I guess you would say warm or predisposed to them when Asher started school. And so Asher did not have my same experiences in the educational space. Um, Asher always had a hard time at school hated school, was smart, super smart, is a super smart kid, um, but just could not, could not do the things that were expected at school. Um, absolutely could know something forwards and backwards and be given a test on it and literally be, not be able to write an answer to a question, a question mm-hmm. that if you him verbally, he would be like, ah, and talk to you for a half hour about, just couldn't do that. Um, so we, and, and for what it's worth, we tried lots of different things. We started in a private religious school. We are not a particularly religious family. Um, we, we go up and down in our level of spirituality, I guess you would say. But, um, but it was a nice, small school, um, good people. Um, and so we were like, well, let's try this first. 
and it was really good for kindergarten. And then in first grade, Ash had a terrible teacher and it was just really bad. And so halfway through first grade, we pulled him out and put him in a local public school. Like that seemed okay at first. And then we got to second grade and it was weird. And then by third grade, we were like in the school every week because it's like, oh, this happened, that happened. He's not getting this. He's not doing this. And he had these like super nice teachers who I think were really well-meaning people who were like, if we just try this or he'll catch up or he'll get more mature or we're going to do like math support or we're going to do reading support. And everybody sort of saw the same stuff, but nobody was able to look at it and say, um, nobody was able to look at the big picture, right? And so we started piling stuff on. So first it was, um, I think third or fourth grade, it was, he needs glasses. That's really going to make a big difference. So we did that and it helped. Um, obviously not being able to see makes it hard to like do anything. So that helped. Um, so like we like started to hit the basics. Um, it had him tested for like a hearing problem because he had trouble with verbal instructions. And so we thought, well, maybe it's a hearing thing. Found out that wasn't the case. Um, then the teacher was like, he's really moving a lot. And again, um, I just want to be clear about this just because I think it matters. At this time, Asher is presenting as Sarah, is presenting as female. Teachers are perceiving Asher as a female. And it's very hard, I think, in a public school setting, you hear a lot about young boys being diagnosed with like ADHD. Um, girls can present very differently with that. And so it was very, it was very interesting when the teacher was like, we really think ADHD is a thing. Um, we had an evaluation and it's like, um, they, they count, like somebody comes and sits and watches your kid for like, I don't know, like two hours. And they're like, how, for what percentage of the time were they on task? And it's like the fourth grade. So like the good, I say good, but the kids that don't have attention problems, like 50 to 60%, right? Like this is not a high bar. And they were like, you know, it was like 18% of the time that Ash was even close to on task. And I was like, oh, well, that's the thing. So we started the journey because then obviously the thing that people want to do is like medications. We tried that. Um, and Ash is a super tidy person. Um, I think in the fourth grade, he weighed like 16 pounds or something like that. He was still in the booster seat because he was so little. Mm -hmm. um, and the stimulant medication that he was on totally killed his appetite. So he didn't eat. He was having to eat lunch in the nurse's office because they were concerned that he wasn't eating. You know, so they don't see kids with an eating disorder or, or things like that. So then he hated that. He hated being single. It was different. He hated having to take meds at school. Um, and so like just stuff kept building on itself. And then every year we thought they're probably going to hold him back this year. And maybe that, and, and like, you don't think about that as somebody's parent, but you think maybe that would be better because maybe he would feel more in line with his peers instead of feeling behind or whatever. And I hated it because during homework time, he was, he was crying, crying. I was crying. Um, he was saying, I'm so stupid. I can't get this. And I knew that wasn't true. Um, and in fact, in my having grown up like in a gifted program and things like that, my perception was that this is a kid who's actually pretty gifted, um, has a different way of learning, but super good at like making connections and synthesizing information and absolutely factually deep in these areas that he was passionate about. Um, but it just wasn't, wasn't lining up. It wasn't working at school. And we were spending sometimes like four or five hours a night on homework. And I was working full-time at this time. Um, I actually have worked full-time through all of Ash's life. 
Um, but so like, I'm coming home from work. We're doing this. I'm going back to work um, so that I can finish work because I left early to come home and do homework. So he goes to bed. I go back to work. And I'm like, we are killing ourselves on this. He's miserable. I'm miserable. Everybody around me is miserable because I'm miserable. Um, and I was like, if I'm going to spend five hours a day educating this child, good grief, at least I want to have some say in what we're reading because this book is stupid and I don't want to read it. Um, so that's where we started thinking. And, and you know, Chris and I at the time were, were together and we're talking about it. And we're like, well, maybe we should start thinking about homeschooling. And we were kind of like looking at like seventh grade. because we're like, well, let's give middle school a try. It's a little different. In our district, middle school starts at sixth grade. And we thought, like, let's see what we might do. So middle school starts. It is a disaster. Like everything about it is a train wreck. We are all crying. We're at like a psychiatrist's office. Um, it's at this point that they start saying, okay, we're pretty sure he's on the autism spectrum, which again, sort of like the trans thing. This is a surprise to totally no one. Um, <laughs> it ended up coming with a lot of work, right? Like it ended up coming with, now we have to do an IEP for a school, an individualized education plan, which is the thing we do here in the, the States. If you have a certain kinds of like documented um, learning differences, then it was, um, we need to do a certain kind of therapy for this. And then we need to, um, so there's occupational therapy and um, speech therapy and language therapy and just all this stuff. And um, then it was, and we need to put him in special classes. He wasn't with his friends. And he, and unfortunately, and this is, I think, the case in a lot of public school settings, the reality is you can't very easily be um, what, what I call twice exceptional. So twice exceptional is gifted with learning disabilities or differences. Ash couldn't get into the gifted program because he couldn't pass the test because he couldn't take any test successfully. Um, so he was in remedial everything, even things that he had super deep subject knowledge and interest in, but it was okay, but here we are. And, and this is where you, you, you know what I mean? Like this is where you go. This is your track. And so he was really good in some classes and he was like getting a hundred in geography because he loves um, uh, cultures world cultures and geography and stuff like that. And then over here in English, he was carrying um, a really, really great 44%. And that was probably pretty generous. And so we're looking at all this and he, his anxiety is through the roof at this point. He won't leave his room. Um, he's crying all the time. It's just a mess. And we were like, all right, we're not waiting until seventh grade, like right now. So it was, it's funny. I remember the day because it was February 29th. It was leap day. And that was the day. And I was like, leap day, leap. This is what we're doing. We're homeschooling. And so, like I said, I had kind of a warm predisposition toward like what you call interest led learning. I think um, definitely toward um, kind of like democratic. So we, we had kind of at this point been in like a democratic parenting place um, so it wasn't like, hey, you have to go do this thing. We're like, we're a family and we're doing this thing. But what you're saying, you know, yeah. where, where are you in this process? What What's important to you? So so we're kind of like, we had the pieces, if that makes sense. And we were sort of totally unschooling public school because I'd be like, we're not doing this homework. This is stupid. Um, so I would write notes to the teacher, like, we're not doing this. <laughs> and so we had, we came into unschooling sort of through the back door, I would say, because we were doing all this stuff. And then here we are, and we're homeschoolers, and, you know, like, you look at it, and, like, we went to, like, the curriculum fair that year, and I was like, this is just not for us. Like, we're not doing this. Um, I was like, this is exactly what was not working. So 
I guess you would say we came into it from, well, we know we don't want to do X, so let's do something else. And the something else was, okay, let's see what we're doing. And I would say we started, um, I, I think the way a lot of unschoolers start, and I'm not saying this was the best way, um, but we sort of were like, okay, no more school. We're kind of kind of do whatever we want. And I'm, I'm learning as, as I've gone through the unschooling journey, that's really rough. And it's especially really rough on a kid who has anxiety, who has trouble making decisions and who has had all their decisions made for them for a decade. Um, that's a, that's a really hard leap to make. And so um, we sort of like, I don't want to say floundered. We did stuff and it was cool. And we went on trips and we looked at robots and we like read a lot of books from the library. And, um, you know, there was, there was some cool stuff going on, but there wasn't a lot of purposeful stuff on my part. I was like, let's just do whatever. And then if Ash got up one day and just wasn't interested in anything and just wanted to kind of like lay around and play with Legos, um, I was looking at that and I was like, well, now I don't know what to do. Does that count? Does that not count? And I hadn't, I hadn't read or learned much about the unschooling philosophy. And so I had a lot of the, I had a lot of things that looked like unschooling. What I didn't have on my end was the understanding of what my role was or what I would be doing or um, how I could be helping Ash with stuff. So we, we sort of like were in that place for a while. And I was definitely like, um, so again, we'll talk probably about Pennsylvania, I think a little bit later, but um, we have portfolios that we have to keep for our students and they want to see progress in areas. And so I was like, well, let's do a couple math worksheets every week because like we need to, I was thinking we need to show something. So, you know, that'll do. Um, and of course, math was one of Ash's worst areas. He ended up being diagnosed, by the way, with dyslexia and dyscalculia too, um, which again, like, it sounds, at this point, we were very frustrated because we felt like what we had was a collection of diagnoses and nobody looking at this is a person. And so a thing that we did along with all this other stuff is we sort of started to unschool in some of those things too. So but what I mean by that is um, we quit most of the therapies. They were, they were not to our, so I'm going to be really careful about this. There are a lot of people, uh, especially people on the autism spectrum who really benefit from certain things. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, there's a couple other types of, of therapy that happen. Um, a lot for kids on the autism spectrum, some of which are super effective for some kids. They weren't working for us. We knew they weren't working for us. They were making Ash feel bad, um, making us feel bad. And fundamentally, I think a lot of our problem was we started at the, I don't say the wrong time, but Ash was old enough to understand that he was different, but not different enough to want to be different or to not care that he was different. And so you're at an age, like that middle school age is not when kids want to be different. You know, that's not when they want to be, their friends are out playing sports and they have to go to like a brain training center for stuff four days a week. Like that's not, it's not a good time for that if you've grown up doing that maybe, but um, so that that's your normal. But that was really kind of, that was kind of hard to take. So um, we pulled out of a lot of those things. Um, got a lot of criticism for that actually. Um, more than homeschooling, you know, a lot of people um, have faced criticism homeschooling kids on the autism spectrum because they said, oh, they need socialization. They need to do these things. Um, we didn't get as much criticism for that, but we definitely did for dropping the therapies. We stopped the ADHD medicine. Um, you know, we, we started to think differently about those things and to give Ash a voice in them too and be like, you're telling us this isn't working for you and we need to listen. So um, we kind of pulled in. We just sort of were, we were our family. Like we just did stuff together, um, just lived, learned, enjoyed things. And so from there, that's when I started reading about unschooling and sort of started 
um, turning that into something that was a little more, you know, purposeful is kind of the right word, maybe not, but on my part where I was like, okay, I'm doing a thing. I'm not just doing not this thing. You know, I'm like not doing school. I'm not doing school at home. Um, I'm doing this other thing. And so it was, it was developing, okay, what is that thing? And finding out that there were people like, this is a whole thing. There's a philosophy. People, people know what they're doing in this space. I was like, oh. And then to look back at my experiences and say, oh, this is totally what my parents did. They just didn't have a name for it. And in our case, it was interesting because one of the biggest challenges that I faced when I first started learning about unschooling was this idea of, um, I missed the part where it's not about the tools or the resources. It's about what, what your learner needs, wants, isn't, enjoys, and things like that. And I had this idea that it's not unschooling if somebody, like, there's a textbook or something. And I was not, so when I was a kid, I liked textbooks. I went to book sales and bought textbooks. <laughs> I bought for fun. Like, I mean, this is the kid I was. So I want to be really careful when I see my parents unschooled me. There was definitely like, we got a box of curriculum once a year, but I wanted that. I loved it. I took tests for fun. I would pass the spelling tests at the beginning of the week and I would ask for more spelling words so I could do them at the end of the week. I was weird. I get that, but I wanted those things. And I wanted that, like I I knew I want to go to college. I want a transcript. You know what I mean? So I was doing things that were based on where I saw myself going and things I wanted to do. Ash is the same way. So Ash, the weirdest thing was um, when we started like looking around at stuff after we pulled him out of public school, like at libraries, book sales, stuff like that. I'm like, get whatever you're interested in. And he picks up this like science textbook. It's like an ABECA science textbook from like the 80s or something. And like I said, we're not like super, super religious. And again, this was from the 80s. And I was like, I don't really know if I feel like the science in this is going to be what I'm going for this math and science background, but he was thrilled with it. And so we like went through and he's like, read me a chapter from, you know, this book tonight. I was like, okay. So like that was our bedtime story. We read like understanding God's world or whatever it was. Um, and he was like thrilled. And I was like, then I was reading about school. And I was like, oh, we got to get rid of the textbooks. And I, you know what I mean? I was missing the forest for the trees. I was like, oh, no textbooks. I like this book. And I was like, oh, so he would sleep with this book. So it was just very odd. But it's a very cool kid. Like, so I was like, okay, this is neat. So then we, but we started to find that for different reasons, we ended up not liking some of the textbook approach for him because it was very structured and he would get really into a piece of it and then it would move off into another thing. And so what we found was they made good jumping off points because he would read something and be like, um, you know, what, what, tell me more about this. I want to know more about this. And then we'd be over here in this, um, like we really like those like DK books, the like Encyclopedia of World History and the Encyclopedia of Animals and the Eyewitness books and all that. And so we would use them to like dive deeper into one particular topic. And then um, as we went, we worked in a lot more internet resources, gaming, things like that. Um, we started mostly with books because my ex-husband and I are book people. We like books. We're always surrounded by books. He and I ran a business for a while buying and selling used books. So we we're always places with books. Um, but there again, as I discovered unschooling, I really started to separate myself from the idea that books are how you learn. Um, and I realized pretty quickly, um, that Asher, so we, we read aloud to Asher a lot, which was really good. Um, but we, um, we realized pretty quickly, he did not 
get stuff out of reading because he struggled so hard to do it. Um, he just wasn't getting things that way. And we're like, oh, you like videos. You like watching. You like being read to. Um, so we, for what it's worth, we read aloud to him um, well into high school, which was super cool. So, um, again, that's just a, a neat thing that I really yeah. But so, um, but so we started to, I think through unschooling, we started to look at, uh, to sort of break down our ideas of um, what, um, you know, what are, what are kind of some of the arbitrary knee-jerk distinctions that we make maybe as parents or just as people. Um, you know, if you see a kid playing, and again, I think we're going to talk more about video games later. If you see a kid reading a book, is your re- response kind of net positive? Oh, look, that kid's reading. Versus if that kid's watching YouTube videos on their phone or playing video games, and you're like, oh, that kid's just sitting on his butt on his, fo- on his device or whatever. Um, so we started to kind of break down our own thoughts on that and to think differently. And that, I think, for us was the biggest part of unschooling. And then also, um, so we would be, I guess, what most people would consider radical unschoolers, which is that we took that and we wholeheartedly applied those concepts to the rest of our life. And we're like, you know, it didn't really matter if you go to bed at nine o'clock. Like, that's super arbitrary and that doesn't have anything to do with life. Um, the rest of us were not. I was working overnights at this time. So it's like, you know, people were like, oh, if your kid doesn't go to bed at nine o'clock, they're never, you know, if you let them stay up till midnight and sleep until nine, they're never going to have a job. I was like, I go to bed at midnight and get up at nine. I have a, like, what's wrong with you? People who knew me and knew that, I was like, you kidding? <laughs> And then, like, trying to unschool, and there again, like, you kind of start unpacking things, right? And you're like, um, at the time, I was in a job that I um, I had really liked, like, some newspapers, right? Newspapers are, um, they're still struggling, right? When I got into newspapers, I loved it, but I didn't love, uh, you know, as a manager, I didn't love having to lay people off. I didn't love the people who were left having to work 60 hours a week to do the work because the work hadn't changed, even though we had 20% less people. Like, I started to realize I didn't like that. And I, I kind of had the idea of, well, I have to do that. That's what I know how to do. That's what I've always done. And you sort of like start to unschool yourself and you're like, do I have to do that? Or is that kind of arbitrary? And then I started to look at the skills that I had built and like the kind of the skills that I had, what I was doing at the paper. I was leading their websites and I was like, it's all this job for like a web developer. And I was like, I know how to do all of the things in this. And it was even a developer position through a communications team. And I was like, this is great. This is everything that I wanted. And I would never have applied for that if I hadn't worked through some of the unschooling stuff where I was like, no, you don't have to do it that way. You don't have to stay at your company for 30 years. You don't have to stay in a job you don't like. You don't have to stay in your lane because this is the kind of work you've always done. And so, and I think those things helped Asher too, because he started to see um, ways to ask questions about the world, ways to say like, is this kind of arbitrary and weird or is this like a for real thing? Like, it's like, you know, actually a lot of things that we say you have to do, um, you really don't have to. You have to face the consequences. That was our big, um, and it's kind of, again, it went into kind of like the radical unschooling philosophy, but this is our big philosophy with parenting is you can do anything you want. You need to face the consequences of it. And the consequences are not, um, you know, you stayed up till 3 a.m. and now you're grounded. The consequences are you stayed up till 3 a.m., and you knew we had a doctor's appointment to go to at eight, so you got five hours of sleep, and you're going to feel like crap. And we did try to tell you that, but we're not saying you can't do that. You have to go to bed at nine or whatever. So it, it's really like that's, that was kind of our big, I think our biggest change was when we realized that the philosophy was you need to think about what you want to do. You need to think about your decisions. You need to own them. Um, we want you to make them, but we also want you to be like, 
if I do this, X is going to happen. And it's like, well, so, and again, like for us too, it was neat for us to kind of take that step back. So I talk a lot. (laughs) I did not want to interrupt because that was beautiful, Joan. Like, I really love how you noticed the, um, the transition piece, right? I I experienced the same thing as well. You're stepping away from something, right? It's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And, and there is a vacuum. There can be a vacuum for a while as you realize, oh, you know, we need something to replace that with, right? So yeah. that, that's why I'm always talking about, you know, continuing to learn about unschooling because you learn unschooling at first when you think of it. Well, it's not school. So we're not doing school, right? <laughs> but it is creating a whole different environment, a whole different learning environment. As parents, we're doing something different. Yeah, we're not helping with homework for those hours. But for those hours, we are actively supporting our child and helping them and hanging out with them and connecting with them, you know, and building that different kind of environment for learning. So it's not like learning in a vacuum. But right. it's, it's crazy. That I think was what I wanted to make sure that I, I feel like we struggled because I think we, we didn't get to unparenting, but we were closer than I realized I would like. And it was like, I don't want to be hands off. I don't want to just say, here, go do some things. Um, yeah, it, it was that discovery process. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and I went through that too. Yeah, exactly the same. I mean, and your your school stories were very familiar to, to me as well. And you know, that that was that was the whole thing. That was the process. It got to a point where it's like, no, this isn't working. We can try something else. And Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I love, you know, what you were sharing about um, you know, ways to support him and how you were learning it's so funny because you think you're doing it for your, your child, right? We're, we're doing this for our child, but then it becomes so much bigger, doesn't it? It, it, we, once you start opening that one question, everything becomes a question. Oh, it's all on the table now. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. So you did a beautiful job of working all the way through that. So I am so happy. (laughs) Um, so we did talk about, um, well, let we you talked about it at school and the challenges with school, um, unschooling for kids with with learning differences. I mean, you went into that when you talked about how you know reading for him wasn't wasn't a helpful tool um, for picking up the kinds of information that he was looking for, you know. And I found that too. Like with later readers, you'd think, oh, they're going to be behind in gathering information, but they're not. They have just different ways. And outside of right. school. They can use all these other ways. Um, right. So, yeah. I, was there anything you wanted to add about um, unschooling for kids with learning dis- differences? So I think the one big thing I would say is don't discount the, I say emotional value. So like I said, Ash had a lot of anxiety, a lot of bad feelings about himself, low self-esteem. He's like, I can't do this. I'm in remedial math. I'm whatever. And so he had this perception of himself as somebody who was slow or stupid or who couldn't get it or who whatever, because the system was playing to his weaknesses, not his strengths where, and if you're too interested in, so that's the thing, Oh, we want you to pay attention. We want you to be focused. We want you to be interested. 
But by the way, also you can't be too interested because in 90 minutes you have to go get up and go somewhere else and know no matter how good you're doing here, or how interested you are, you have to switch gears entirely and go to this other thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things that we realized pretty early on was we at home, um, and, and I, I want to be careful how I say this. Like, you know, I talk a lot, which I said, um, but it, I want to be careful about some of the things I say because there are a lot of people in these situations and it can be really stressful as a parent to try to deal with some of these challenges and you feel like you're never doing the right thing with whatever you do is the wrong thing. So I don't want anybody to feel like I'm saying, oh, this thing over here is just wrong. We just found stuff that didn't work, you know, for us. But I think one of the big things at home was we had a lot of people with the therapy, with the IEP in school, when we came home with the idea of how are we going to I don't think this was the phrase we thought of, but it's probably how it appeared to Ash. How are we going to fix the autism, right? Like, how are we going to um, make you seem not autistic? Um, You know, how are we going to redirect you so that you don't spend four hours talking to somebody about tanks in World War II? Because you're super into tanks in World War II or the Titanic or the Donner Party or like, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, So I think for a lot of people... That stuff comes down to spending your time on the weaknesses and saying, okay, here's the thing that's a problem. How do I help you read better? How do I help you do math better? How do I help you understand social situations better? And those are, those are not bad things. Those are, those are good things to do, but I think they're good things to do naturally and in moderation, not as the focus. And I, I, I should say for us, I think that was the case because what we ended up doing was realizing that um, for us, so school is important. Learning is important. Um, but for us, Asher being an okay person, and some of that's how, you know, how he related to others, but some of it is um, the suicide rates for kids are, are going through the roof. Um, kids with learning differences, especially kids who have, you know, maybe are on the LGBTQ spectrum, which again, we knew from a pretty early age was, was a thing with Ash. Um, all of that stuff, you look at that and, and, as a parent to look at that and see the suicide rate in kids, especially with differences like that kids who are being bullied at school, kids who are struggling. Um, I had, I kind of took a step back and I was like, you know what I care about the most? It is not whether you can do a math worksheet. It is whether you are okay as a person and I don't have to worry every day when I'm at work that I'm going to come home and find something terrible has happened. Like that is a really blunt way of saying it, but that's where we were. And so I felt like for us, as kind of um, a confidence thing is like, I am tired of focusing all the stuff on all the stuff that people think is wrong. I am tired of focusing. So we'd spent years focused on these labels and these diagnoses and these like all this, you know, you should do this and this therapy and whatever. And I was like, I want to focus on like, what are you good at? What do you really like? You love facts. Like I have never met a kid who could tell you more facts about things. And I was like, so work with that, right? Let's take that and let's learn to synthesize those facts. That's a cool thing to be able to do. Um, And then let's build your toolbox of coping skills, but let's do that in a way that's not, you go to therapy six times a week for it. Let's look at situations that come up and say, hey, like this is a rough spot. Like what are we going to do about this and work on that together rather than to be to be forced to go into a room and say, here's a social story. What are you going to do when so-and-so says they don't like your shirt? I am going to say this. And again, I I don't want to belittle that or say that that doesn't work for some people, but it was not consistent with Ash and how he 
sold the world. And it was making him feel worse about himself. Well, I can't even get this right. I can't do this. And this is another test I'm failing, essentially. So for us, that's, that's what I would say about the advantages of if you have a kid with an unconventional learning style. And that can be um, autism, that can be dyslexia, that can be just somebody who is less of a reader and more of a listener or a video watcher or a hands-on um, learner. And we have some friends whose kids are absolutely physical doers. They, they need to be working with their hands. They need to be doing something physically. And that's how they learn. And that's how they learn everything from science to math to um, engineering to working on cars. Like, that's their thing. So if you have things like that, if you can play to those strengths, your kid's going to feel a lot better. You're not going to feel like you're beating your head against a wall because you're not going, okay, this isn't working. And I, I read somewhere that if you, um, with kids with autism, it was how it was referred to, but I think it's true for anything. If you have somebody who's struggling with communication, if you have somebody who's struggling with how to read, how to write, how to say the things that they want to say, throwing more words at them is not the thing that's going to help with that. Like you got to find something else. And so that was really eye opening to me because I am all about words. I love to read. I love to write. I love to talk. I am just words, words, words all the time. And here's Asher who's sensorily like, please stop. I'm just overloaded. Like, let me watch this video. Let me watch this video with the sound off. Let me just see what's going on and stop talking to me. Um, and that, that was really kind of eye opening too. So, um, yeah, I would just say anything with learning differences, figure out how you can take those things and make them a strength. Because if you, if you're realistic about it, um, as an adult, you, I mean, so self-improvement is great. Lots of people spend time and I do too, trying to improve myself, trying to make myself better. But my job, I would never get a job that surrounded, was surrounded by my weaknesses. There are tons of things I am not good at. I have no physical skills whatsoever. I walk into walls. Um, I trip over the floor. Um, you know what I mean? Like, so I'm never going to get a job that requires that kind of skill, like manual dexterity or anything like that. I could, but I would be miserable. And so as an adult, you sort of, you, you get the leeway in life to do that. And so I just want to like, yeah, I hope people give that kids. Yeah. Yeah. That focus on their strengths. I mean, not only from the emotional side, but yeah, exactly. Like for their whole life, you, you don't want to go out there and choose a job where you're going to be miserable. Right. So if you're gonna, not going to be an accountant. That would be stupid. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fine. So, so I don't need you to be one. Yeah. And along that, while you're focusing on your strengths and, and following interests that, that, you know, mesh with your strengths, there's going, you're going to come across opportunities where you need to use the things that you're less, you know, um, naturally inclined to do, you know, there's some math skills in, in paying for things and, you know, all, all the regular life things. And that'll, that'll still give you opportunities to work on those, but they don't need to be the focus. Right. Right. I love right. that. Absolutely. So you mentioned video games earlier. So yeah, now here we are. Um, and I thought, because that is such a big question or, you know, a very popular question. Uh, I thought maybe you could share a bit about your uh, experience with video games. So I guess I would say, um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to kind of get into this. Um, our family 
has always been into gaming. Now, it wasn't always video gaming. I was like a classic Nintendo person growing up. Like, I love that. I have capped out at 2D, though. Like, I remember going and playing some video game in the arcade where you have to, like, walk diagonally over a bridge, 3D, to go into the building to kill zombies. And I died every time because I fell off the bridge. Like, I didn't get to the zombies. Because, again, no, like, proprioception, no physical sense in me. So I was like, okay, that's not for me. still love classic Mario. Classic Mario on my phone. It's great. Um, But so we were a gaming family for a long time. We did Wii Sports together. Um, I definitely was an early adopter for cell phones because I was using them at work a lot. Um, You know, we we just were into things like that. I was doing computer things. I was working primarily online at one point. I had a full-time work job for a while. Um, so, so that stuff was always just around us. It's part of what we did. We played board games too. So just, just a lot of stuff like that in our family. So for us um, to sort of look at those things and say, um, what are the, what are the things around this that are arbitrary? Um, that was kind of a next step as we started kind of unpacking things because we definitely were all into them. And I think we even realized pretty early on that these were totally learning tools. We were learning things, Ash was learning things, but I think early on we still had some really arbitrary restrictions like, well, you can't play more than you can't play a game for more than an hour on the, you know, the Wii or something, mm-hmm. or, you know, then we got a PS3 and it was, um, well, you can't play any games that have shooting in them or, you know, whatever. And what we ended up with there was we really started to kind of unpack these ideas and we're like, what, what is it that we're trying to get out? Like what, what was our goal there? And our goal was like, well, we want you to, um, we want you to be doing things that we feel are productive. I was like, well, wait a minute. So it's okay for me to sit around and play Candy Crush on my phone for a half hour in the morning instead of getting out of bed. But I'm like, I want you to be doing something productive 24-7. And also, who am I to judge what's productive or not? Like, So you, you start to like ask yourself these questions. And it was weird things that kind of came up out of video games naturally, stuff that just evolved for us that made us sort of not just be like, okay with it, not just like, okay, we don't really have arbitrary restrictions around gaming time. Um, Okay. We're pretty okay with most games. It wasn't just stuff like that. It was when we started to realize that these were not just a thing that we allowed, but they were an actual tangible benefit in our family that we were like, Oh, right. This is cool. And I, I will say the biggest thing that tripped us on that in terms of like a light bulb going on was actually Ash really got into the Assassin's Creed series, um, which is, you know, like you're like an assassin and you travel through time and you have to like save people and kill people and whatever. You explore these places and there were things that would come up, like you're exploring this thing. And this kid in the game basically turns to the other kid. They're like looking at a display in a museum and it's like a helmet with horns. And the one kid says, it's like a Viking. Oh, that's a Viking helmet. And the other kid turns to him in the game and says, Vikings didn't wear helmets like that. That's such a myth. And we went and looked that up and it totally like, that was like a two day thing of us finding out that like most Vikings didn't wear helmets with horns on them. Um, I grew up thinking that like, that's what you see. Like it's a Vikings. Um, But so it was like things like that. And then we spent so much time going from that to um, what did Vikings, what were, who were the Vikings? Where did they come from? What's that culture like? And you start to like go down these rabbit trails and it's not, it's not the game by itself, right? The game by itself was just this, the entry point into that. Um, there are games that are designed to be educational, but I, I always said like math with robots is still math. Like that's 
you have a kid who really hates math, and you're not like, oh, you gussied it up with some robots, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do it for him. But there are cool games that are legitimately by themselves educational. There's the Dragon Box app, which is actually an algebra. There's an algebra version and a geometry version, but it absolutely plays like a game, and it's it doesn't beat you over the head with, now look, you've done, you know, uh, distributive property and and algebra. So it it things like that are good and they help. They're part of a context. They're part of like, okay, what did you see here? Um, what is that, you know, what can we explore? Um, one of the newer Assassin's Creed has this, um, it's a mode that you don't even like go through and kill people or anything. It's an exploratory thing. You can walk inside actual replicas of like the Sphinx and the Great Pyramids in Egypt. And it tells you all this stuff. Like this is where the tomb was. This is whatever for like King Tut. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to grab a drink. Thank you. So, like, you, you get to see these things. And again, the benefit to that, so that, that's cool on its own. But where we really got benefit from that was not just we're going to park Ash in front of the TV for eight hours and be like, here, go at it. We don't care. Um, it was engaging with him with that stuff and saying, like, I see that you're really interested in this. Tell me about, like, what you're doing here. Um, and, he, you know, he would be like, I'm exploring this house because I need to find this person but the house is full of like artifacts from different like archaeological expeditions. And this is what's here. And it's like, well, what does that say about that, you know, suit of armor? And he'd go and read it and like, we'd talk about it. And so it was really a chance for us to um, have something that he really enjoyed. It was a chance for us to connect and to just like put some, put some things, put some topics in his path where he was like, Oh, like, you know, this is, this is a really cool thing to like dive into more. But that, only happens with that connection. <coughs> Excuse me. If you, again, if you're just kind of ignoring your kids and your hands off and you're saying like, go do whatever, um, that, that's not the same thing. And we eventually realized that many of the things that are considered like school subjects, we were seeing, covering, experiencing through video games down to Wii Sports as far as phys ed, like, Asher was doing more activity through Wii Sports than we had any of us in the family had done for months. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that piece because that is the big piece. I think that that's the paradigm shift when it comes to, to video games. I think that helps for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, you don't want to say for, for everyone or anything like that, but I know it was for me and I've heard so many stories that way. It's that connection piece, right? If you stay at, oh, they're playing video games or, oh, they're watching videos. And they're sitting there for hours. And, like, it's, it's that, it's that de-schooling, that understanding piece that we were talking about before. If you're just letting them do that, um, but you're not understanding what they're getting out of it. Like you said, when you first, it's like, we're not doing school. Or we are letting them play video games, you know, but you don't understand what they're doing with it, what they're getting out of it. And that's where those connection pieces are in the relationship. And then that's, that's how you can um, have conversations with them and things can grow. That's where you find the rabbit trails, right? The fun. Right, exactly. The it was fun just a place to start. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're, they're just a tool. It could be a book, it could be a video, it could be a video game, it could be a board game. It's just um, more pieces of the world to explore, <laughs> play with, have fun with, 
And when you're there and connected with them or having conversations with them about it, like, you know, oh, what, what was fun about it, you know, today or, or what did you accomplish or what was cool? You know, whatever kind of language works in your relationship, because now you know each other better, right? You, you start to learn what it is that they're enjoying about the game. So your questions are going to be phrased in such a way that says, I see you. You know, it's not like, oh, how was your video game? Like, I mean, you know what game they were playing. You can use the video game name. You can ask about levels. You know, really understand what it is that they're doing. And then it's a window, right? It's a window to the world. Right. And I, I think the other thing, too, is, and I want to kind of just mention this in passing. Um, I know one of the things that you had said we might talk about a little bit is these, um, you know, when you talk about unschooling with older kids. So, you know, um, a lot of people with older kids and teens are starting to look at video games and like, ooh, that one has swearing. That one has killing. Um, here's Grand Theft Auto, and we have just, like, gone and taken a car, and we're, you know, we, there's, like, yeah. a prostitute in the video game. And so you, like, start to see these things, and people get real nervous about stuff like that. And there again, I, I, I feel like a lot of times there's a – maybe a double standard about video games. Um, if you see that on the news, if you see that in a movie or a TV show, um, you might read it in a book. People aren't, I don't think they get as worried about that maybe as they do. Oh, that's in a video game. They're going to think that's an okay thing to do. Um, my kid does not think it's okay to go out and people. We are totally like, we are not a gun family. Like, that is not our thing. Um, my kid is not going to do that. My kid is not going to go jack a car. Like, that is not his thing. And part of that, again, is this overt conversation that we've had, which is, and music is another good example of this, too. Um, he, for a long time, was really into, like, Eminem and stuff like that. And we we didn't use that as a just go listen to whatever you want. It was, we would have the stuff come on, and, like, Eminem would come in the car, and he's talking about this, that, or the other thing. And I was like, well, what do you think about that? Like, why is he saying that? What is the... You know, do you think he really feels that way about women? Do you think, um, you know, do you think it's really okay to, you know, to hit your partner or whatever? And it really becomes this chance to, again, like to connect and not just in a factual way, which is a rabbit trail thing, but to talk about those, like those tough issues, they're going to come up. So we watch hard shows and movies. We watch the 13 Reasons Why series. Um, you know, Ash has played games like Grand Theft Auto and there's like Red Dead Redemption and there's like, stuff that's um stuff that's pretty graphic um and and realistically we didn't look at that as like ooh that's bad we looked at that as like well let's talk about that because you're gonna see that and you're gonna see that either with me or you're gonna see that somewhere because i guarantee you you're gonna go to your friend's house and he's playing this game or you're gonna go to the movies you know like ash is 19 now let's go to whatever movie he wants but i don't want that to be the first time that he understands that like this is a hard example I don't want him to go to a movie and for the first time realize that rape is a thing that happens. Um, I want that to have been a conversation, and it has been in our house. I want those things to be conversations. I don't want to shy away from them because they're, oh, that's tough, that's difficult. Like, I really want to be into those. And media in general, so books, movies, TV, games, whatever it is, um, that's a music, that's a big place for that for us. So um, when you start talking about like, what's the, the value of them, um, really think about like some of those different issues and like, where, where are you on those? Because maybe it's that they make you uncomfortable. Um, but 
that's not, I don't want that because something makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to have to make Asher just avoid it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to be in those spaces with them where it's hard. Yeah, no, that's such a great point because our, our media, um, they, it brings pieces of, of our culture to us, of, of the society that we're living in. And it's great fodder for conversations, right? I remember, I remember when we kind of were the first couple of years unschooling and Simpsons was a big thing and they were watching the Simpsons. And at the time it was like, Oh, don't ever let your kids watch the Simpsons and everything. Right. It's, it's always something. something. <laughs> but Oh my gosh, we did. We watched it together. We all enjoyed it together. We laughed. Um, you know, we laughed at different things because we have different levels of experiences and some jokes went over their heads, but the conversations that came out of it, were fascinating and interesting and and yeah it's they're they're just little doorways right and and so often the nice thing too about you know we're unschooling for years right our kids are growing up some some things will just pass right by them at sometimes right and then other things um that they'll start asking about or or we can bring up the conversation and and they're just not interested it's just not something on their radar at the moment there's going to be another time and another time right but not if you're disconnected not if you're just letting them go do their thing right um and I mean, right. again, I feel like I need to say we're not we're not forcing ourselves on it. But when you have that kind of connected relationship, that you're just interested in what they're doing, right? right. You're sharing what right. you're doing. You're interested in what they're doing. It's just the way we live together, and and then those things can come up, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Another thing we touched on. You did you did a great thing of of mentioning the things that we're going to hit. So Pennsylvania. <laughs> I yeah. live in a place where all we need to do for homeschooling is send in a letter each year that says, "Yes, I'm homeschooling my child," and send it into the school board, and then we're done. Uh, I take it you have. Uh, a uh, little bit more in the reporting requirements <laughs> and, and yay for having graduated. So yeah, I thought maybe you could share a little bit for people who may find themselves in that situation. So there are states that are more or less highly regulated in the U S there are countries that have obviously very different rules. The thing that I would say is that <clears throat> documentation in general, there are places that require it in some format. If you know the rules and you are thinking ahead, I have not found it to be hard in unschooling. So, um, you know, we, I think, you know, we're talking about a lot with unschooling older kids, teens. I have a full transcript for Asher um, that has like 30 credits on it um, that did get him accepted into our local college. He's not going, but he applied and got accepted and all. Um, and that we're, it's very much focused on knowing how to, knowing how to describe the things you're doing and the way people expect to see them or read them. And it's not a worry because I feel like that sounds like I'm saying like you should lie. No, when you write a resume for a job, you might have a set of X, you know, five different skills or whatever. If the job is really heavy in one, you're going to write that resume to focus on um, talking, talking to those skills, talking about um, what you did that's like what you would be expected in that job, right? So your transcript, your documentation, all of that is – your chance to say, we did all these things. I understand what the, you know, maybe the state, the school, whatever your, you know, if it's an umbrella school, I understand what this group wants to see. 
And I'm going to take the things that we did that are going to make the most sense to those people. And I'm going to display them in a way that makes sense to those people. And so um, just as an example, so in Pennsylvania, um, and actually the requirements got a lot better in Pennsylvania a couple of years ago. It used to be um, that you, so you file stuff at the beginning of the year, including learning objectives, but the learning objectives, again, if you read the law and you know it, um, learning objectives can be things like student will continue to make progress in their understanding of the political systems of the world. It does not say student's going to read a government textbook. It does not say student is going to write six papers on the differences between democracy and socialism or whatever. That's not it. It's what is, what is your hope for your kids? What are they going to understand? And so um, in a lot of cases, again, I know that because I read the law. Like I didn't just assume or I worry because people listen to what other homeschoolers tell them. And here I am like telling you things and I want you to listen to me. But I also, I want people to like go to the source on stuff like this. If somebody in your community says, unschooling is not legal, um, I want you to go, I want you to really go look at your state's homeschool law and be like, uh, actually, um, and because people will tell you that and they'll say, oh, it's not legal to do that in Pennsylvania. I was like, no, it's not legal in Pennsylvania not to file your documentation. But you can file your documentation as an unschooler. It doesn't mean you're like off the grid and going and saying, ooh, you know, I didn't register my kid for a social security number and I'm never going to report to the school that they exist. It's not that. Um, it's figuring out how to do um, the, the education ease, right? And so we would do portfolios. You have to do a portfolio every year as well. And you have to meet with what's called an evaluator. An evaluator is usually a psychologist or a teacher. Um, occasionally there are people with other credentials, but those are the generally accepted ones by the state. And that person has to assess whether your child has made what they call sustained progress over the year. A thing that is not true in Pennsylvania is that your child has to do things in a certain grade. Um, it's not because the public school teaches Pennsylvania history in fourth grade that your child has to have Pennsylvania history in fourth grade. The absolute only thing that the state of Pennsylvania says is that you have to have fire safety education every year. That is the one thing that they're like, you have to show that you've had fire safety education every year. So most people I know truck their kids over to the fire station on touch a truck day and they're like, yeah, we went to the fire station as a field trip. It's fine. Like we have family fire drills. Um, we talk about fire safety. Um, you know, like we have a fire extinguisher. We check it regularly. That's the one thing that the state gets like super hung up on. It's great. I want to be safe from fires. It's just really weird. That that's the one that they picked, but everything else it says over the course of your education, your child should be exposed to these topics. As an example, for secondary school in Pennsylvania, it says that to graduate, your child will have had education that includes things like algebra, geometry, um, social studies, whatever. It does not say your child needs to complete a year's textbook of algebra. It just says your education should include that in some way. And so what we did was, um, just as an example of this, we put together what we called concepts of algebra. And it was not that I made a lesson plan. I was like, oh, we're going to learn the concepts of algebra. It was that I was like, I know this is going to be a thing. I know there are places where we use algebra every day. Um, when we go to the grocery store, price per unit, that's algebra, right? It's, if it costs this for six rolls of toilet paper, it costs this for 10 rolls of toilet paper, which is the better deal. It's algebra. That's what that is. Um, and so trying to put those things together and to say, okay, I know I'm supposed to be paying attention for this. How can I put these things together and write something in a transcript, put something in a portfolio that is going to show people that Ash understands that concept? And so that's a big, um, that's a big deal is knowing as the parent what's expected, looking for those things, 
and not forcing them to happen because you don't have to do that. Um, there was nothing that we did where I was like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to make something up or I have to make. In Pennsylvania, a thing that happens a lot is that families are good at unschooling and then they get nervous at portfolio time and they sit their kid down with a workbook and they're like, quick, do these six worksheets so we can put them in a the portfolio. Um, that is not required. I have never had a problem with a portfolio. I did seven of them. Never had a problem with a portfolio because I didn't have math worksheets in it. Um, but, but people get nervous about that. And the thing I would say is pay attention to what you're doing as you do it. Um, I don't think most people need to keep like a daily log of today we learned this. It can be really helpful for you, especially at first, to do that because you start to see those things add up and you're like, oh my gosh, we really did learn a lot today. But usually what I did is like over the course of a week, I kind of like in the back of my mind, I'd be like, what are some of the interesting things that happened this week? Did we take a big trip? Did we go down a particularly long rabbit trail? And I just sort of try to keep in my head, I had a planner actually, and I would just like write a couple notes on the calendar part of the planner. And then at the end of the month, I would go back over that. I'm like, okay, these are kind of the themes. And then at the end of the year, I could take those, put them real quick, and I could whip out a portfolio in like three hours. It was not a big deal. And a lot of it too is like pictures, descriptions, um, stuff that was, uh, I'll say like produced product that was already generated. So um, Ash was very involved in 4-H. In 4-H, one of the requirements is that you, when you submit a project, you have to write what's called a project story. It's basically a report. You have to write six paragraphs about what you did. I was like, here we go. It's going in the writing portfolio because you wrote it. Um, so, so taking those things that happen um, and, and putting them in places and saying, like, okay, this is how it comes together. Um, the other thing I will say, and this is really specific to Pennsylvania, but any place like Pennsylvania that has in-person evaluation or somebody says sit down and talk to your kid, if you have a say in who that person is, which in Pennsylvania you do, you can pick any licensed evaluator, um, <clears throat> If you find a person who understands what you're doing, um, you will not have problems with that. So we were very lucky. We found a woman who is an unschooler herself. Um, she's also a certified teacher and she does evaluations. And it was no big deal because she totally got what we were doing. We weren't fooling her or tricking her or trying to make ourselves look like something we weren't. What we were doing is going to her with stuff and saying, here's a way to look at what we've done and we can talk to you and tell you more about some things. Um, and she could talk to Asher and know like, oh my gosh, you're doing all this stuff. That's awesome. You acted in the Shakespeare play. You memorized The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe just because you thought it was cool. Like, um, she, she would see these things that Ash was doing and, and saw them for the value that they had. So um, that's, that's kind of the thing about if you live in a highly regulated state. If you know the law and if you find the places within the law where you have flexibility, um, that, that's what matters. Like, that's how you make that work. Um, and I will say... You do the work because um, especially, and, and as Ash got older, I tried to put some of the work on him too, as far as like you, Pennsylvania also requires you to keep a log of books read. Um, and I was like, you know, hey, Ash, if you're reading a book, tell me about it. So we're going to put on the log or whatever. Um, but if you have younger kids, it's really part of your role is to try to get that overview of, okay, in your head, think about what they're learning, think about what they've been doing. Um, and that's your chance to be purposeful too and to be connected because if a week would go by in my planner and I couldn't write down like something interesting we did or a rabbit trail we went down, I looked at that as did I spend enough time connected with my kid or was this kind of a week where everybody was just off doing their own thing? Because I guarantee you he learned something this week. But what I also guarantee you is that I wasn't involved in it. And again, as he got older, there's a little bit of a different paradigm as he got older. Um, that was really a big thing in middle school for us. 
Um, and as he got older, it was, did I check in with him this week? Did, do I know what he's doing? Is there stuff that we can be doing together? Um, so, so there are ways you can look at that and kind of use it to your advantage or to look at it and say, what can I learn from this? Um, you, you really, really can. Um, and I'll say too, I think one of the other things that you had said that you wanted to talk about was, um, you know, with teens and, and young adults, um, you know, if, if there's pressure to say you need to learn more traditionally. And the thing I would say about that is there's a lot of pressure to be able to convey what you've learned in the way people expect to hear it. And so that's this transcriptees. Like I can put together something that's like um, Shakespearean history. Shakespearean history was Ash got involved in a bunch of Shakespeare plays and was reading stuff and the directors were talking to him about why people were doing things in the culture of the time. Um, I didn't give him a textbook or give him a lecture or, you know, whatever. Um, but so you look at those things and you think everybody had to have Shakespeare in high school around here. Anyway, you read Shakespeare in high school. Ash has a better grasp on it than most high school students. I know because he was doing it. He wasn't just reading it. He was out there acting. He was using the original language. He was understanding like, what does that word mean in the original language? Why is that phrase the way that it is? Um, he didn't write, he didn't write an essay about Shakespeare. You know what I mean? He didn't compare and contrast and Juliet and the Merchant of Venice or something like that. Um, but, but he, he gained an understanding of it. And so what I, my job there was to come up with a way um, in a transcript sense to say, he absolutely has the background and grounding in this that like a college would want to see. He, he knows the things. Um, and so I have never seen a college ask for a copy of a report you wrote about William Shakespeare. Um, you may go into freshman you know, English 101 in college and be expected to be familiar with Shakespeare, to understand he wrote tragedies and comedies and histories, um, you know, to know a couple quotes from Shakespeare. That's the expectation, right? They didn't, they're not going to ask you for like, produce the term paper you wrote in high school for your Shakespeare study. Um, so finding ways to convey those things and to assure people, no, this student knows what they need to know in this area. Um, and again, to work to the strengths, because like, just as an example, we were really, really heavy in history and science classes and really, really light in math classes. We met the state standards for math, and that was it, bare minimum. Um, and a lot of that came from like personal finance type, type math. Um, but so when you start looking at those things, you think, okay, but again, this kid is applying to college, what are they applying for? Are they applying for an engineering degree or are they applying for something like theater production? And if they're applying for theater production, the fact that there's you know, 10 credits of theater performance, that's great. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not a bad thing. You do want to be realistic and you want to say, okay, what, what is this person actually spending their time on? Um, because I think people have this misconception of wanting, especially your teens to be well-rounded. Um, and I would say that most adults are not well-rounded. Um, I, I, don't, I think as an adult, you sort of, you move into the things that you're interested in. And some people, I think some people are pretty well-rounded. I think people work towards that in a lot of cases. But obviously, you have these things, again, where you're like, I'm really kind of focused over here. And I'm not following politics super closely or world events, but I'm really involved in my community. Um, or I'm a really good reader, but I totally don't get any of the movie quotes. I've never seen, me in particular, I've never seen Game of Thrones. I have no idea. Like, people are talking about them. I just have nothing on this. So I'm not well-rounded, I guess. I can't compete in that space. People are talking to me and I'm like, search me. Um, but that's okay for your kids too, right? They need to meet the basics. Um, obviously I would like that every adult can balance a checkbook. Not actually true. 
Um, but I would like that as a basic that every person has, but I don't need everybody to be able to do algebra. I don't need my um, veterinarian to be able to also um, bake a perfect three layer cake. Like you got to find those things and, and just work to those. Um, and I think I would say too, you have to help. So like, you know, I said, you write the transcript or, or whatever you, you need to be able to convey those things. You need to help your kids be able to sell themselves too. Because when you talk about things like job interviews, when you talk about things like, um, you know, college applications, things like that, if, if that's a direction your kids want to go, you talk about things like if a, if a kid's entrepreneurial and wants to run their own business and they need to talk with clients, if they have a retail job and they need to talk with customers, they need to figure out how to present themselves and what they know in a way that is, um, that makes them look good, that makes them look like they have the skills they need. And I'll just give you an example of this. Ash is in the process of trying to get a job, his first job. Um, and one of the things that he is looking at is we have a nursing home in our neighborhood. And Ash has spent a lot of time taking care of my mother when she lived with us. She needed some care. And he did a lot of that. And when he realized that could be a job, he said, but I never, you know, I didn't go to school for this. I don't have like personal care assistant training. And I said, no, you need to convey to them why is this important to you? Oh, well, because I took care of my elderly grandmother and, and he like wrote this on his application. I took care of my elderly grandmother and I really appreciated being able to help and to hear her stories of you know her life and to really recognize like who she was. And that's what you have to do. That's how you sell that yourself on that job. It's not the degree you have or your diploma or anything. It's um it's understanding, okay, well, what's my life experience and how do I convince somebody that I'm um, a good fit for this? And so that's really what, when you have like older teens um, with unschooling, I really like, I like that idea of focusing on what are your strengths? What do you think you want to do? Um, and some of that's being realistic too. If you have a kid who knows that they want to go to school for a science heavy thing and they need lab sciences, you're not going to be able to make that up. You need to figure out, okay, if you want to do that, work with this kid. How are you going to get a lab science credit in high school so that you can enter college and do what you want? Or maybe what you put to them is you absolutely can go to community college for two years after you graduate from high school and get those credits and then transfer into the university that you want. Mm -hmm. um, if that's what you want to do. And it's, it's showing them those options and saying, okay, this is available to you, um, but I'm not going to make you do this. I'm not going to make you go to college. I'm not going to make you study a particular thing. If you tell me what, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to go? And I can help you, I can help you figure out what the options are to get there. And so that's where when you talk about, um, you know, there's pressure, I think, uh, with older kids to sort of nudge them toward like, oh, you know, you really should go take a class in this or whatever. Um, you could put that forth as an option. I think that's totally legit in, in unschooling. And, you know, I'm an unschooling expert. But to me, that's a, a legit option to offer. But it has to be a choice. Like, you can be like, well, you have to do this because you said you want this other thing. Maybe it's a decision your kid makes and they say, you know, I said I wanted to be an engineer, but I actually don't want to go take that physics class. So maybe I don't want to be an engineer. And I'm not saying let them, you know, you throw everything out because something gets a little difficult or hard. Yeah. But if they come to a point and they're like, you know, I just really hate this. Um, my, one of my sisters started cosmetology school and she thought that was really what she wanted to do with her life. And she went all the way through and then she ended up, you had to do so many like live haircuts or whatever in front of your instructor. And she got a really grouchy old man whose hair she had to cut and she cried and cried. And she's like, that's it. I can't do this. This is not the job for me because if I ever have to feel like that, I'm going to be miserable. 
And so it's kind of working with kids and saying like, okay, if you really want to do this job, can you put up with the stuff that sucks? Can you put up with the stuff that's hard? Um, and it's teaching them how to deal with hard things when they come up. But it's also like, you know what? Is that really what you want to do? Like, if, if that's such a trade-off, um, or is it, yeah, I want to do this, and so I know I'm going to have to take physics at community college, and I'm really not sure how I'm going to do with it because I haven't had a lot of formal math, but how can we make that work? Like, what can I do? How can I prepare for that? Um, yeah. So that, that's really kind of where I'm at with, like, both documentation and kids and older teens is it's, there's some work on you. There's some work on the part of your kids, and it really comes down to, like, can you sell yourself for where you where you want to end up? Yeah, I, I love that piece because it is it is all about the context, right? And understanding um, the environment that that you're going into. And I think because we've been doing that with our kids as they're growing up, right? When we're unschooled right. with them, we're having all these conversations about context. You know, when we go any place, we're talking about the place and, and, you know, what's kind of, if there's any expectations there or, you know, how other people, you know, what other people's expectations are, et cetera, you know, even from just like going to the science center or going to 4-H or going to wherever, right? So that it's not an out of the blue conversation to say, hey, you're going for a job interview um, right. for this, and this is what that environment's going to be like. This is the kind of expectation. These are the things they're going to be looking for. Hey, you can, this is how you can frame what you've done so that it meets what they're looking for. Like, we've been having those conversations so many times. Right. It's just a different context, right? Right. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I love that. Um, and... And again, I love that piece too when you're talking about generalists and, and people who follow interests. I think that a lot of that is really a, a personal thing, personalities. Like some people have lots of interests and they like to spend time doing a bunch of different things. And some people like to focus and really dive extra deep into one thing, right? So yes. let them discover that about themselves rather than trying to say, okay, you're getting older and we need you. And then worrying like, oh, you did this and this and this, because if they're deep into an interest or two, it, it's likely that any, you know, work or job or whatever they'd like to move into just, you know, when they meet those ages is going to be related to, you know, there, there's not going to be a 90 degree change without, without any, you know, kind of warning, you know what I mean? Um, right. So, so there, it, there's not a real downside um, to letting them continue learning and engaging with the world the way they already do it just because they're getting a bit older. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Our last question, Joan, what has surprised you most so far about how unschooling has unfolded in your lives? Um, all the things that I learned that I had never known before. So that's learning about unschooling obviously and, and kind of unpacking some things in my personal philosophy but it says like, I was not a history lover. History was not my thing. Don't care. Can't follow the dates. Um, but Asher's really into history. That's one of his big areas and world cultures and things like that. And he helped me learn that history is not dates and places. It's people. Um, and it's not people like here's Napoleon. It's people like, what was life like during the French revolution? What, why were people upset? What did they want? Where, where were they as a culture? 
Um, and that, that context, and I love people. I love telling stories. And so when I learned that history could be stories and that history could be, so I love medicine. I, my master's is in public health, like I said. I'm the kind of person who picks up books about nasty viruses and reads them at breakfast. And it's like talking about this person was bleeding from their eyeballs. And I'm like sitting there eating my pancakes. <laughs> um, like, that's what I love. It never occurred to me, like, I'm reading, you know, histories of when diseases were discovered, whether it was, you know, smallpox way back when or Ebola. Um, it never occurred to me that that was history or that, like, counted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, I hate history. And so I sort of changed how I framed that to people because it was like, I never did well in history in school. But actually, it turns out I really like history. I just like it in this different way that I didn't know was a thing. And I learned that totally because of Ash, because it's like, she's not that. Because he had never had to have that experience of high school history where you go through a book from America from 1700 to present and you turn your way through all the dates. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I still couldn't tell you much about the Reconstruction after the Civil War. Just not, it's not where I am. But I do understand context a lot better, I think. And I have at least a good, I have a decent bird's eye view so that I'm not like, um, actually, that was the funniest thing. When we started homeschooling, um, when Dan and I got together, Dan was a history major. And something came up and Asher and I both um, had something, it was something about, Dan said something about the Revolutionary War. And Asher was kind of like, yeah, the North won. And Dan just looked at us and he was like, you are a big fat fail. And I was like, Literally, it's just never come up. We've never talked about the American Revolution. I'm surprised that he pulled out that there was a war in the United States in the North One. Good for him, because I didn't know he knew that. Um, so I like, use that as a chance to talk. And I was like, the, the worst part was, I, like, I certainly knew that wasn't true, but it didn't immediately occur to me when Ash said that to be like, wait, no, 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 that's wrong. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like kind of blowing it off. And I was like, wait, I gotta think about that. Um, but so it's like stuff like that. Like you learn, you learn with your kids and all that stuff that I never... I never would have known um, if it hadn't been for him doing that. Cause certainly if he had gone through high school and was going through a textbook and writing assignments every night, I wouldn't have been reading that with him. I wouldn't have seen those things or I would have seen it as just more of the history I had been exposed to, which is like, Oh, this is boring old white guys. Like ugh, it's not my jam. So, um, so that that's probably been the most fun and the most exciting and, and honestly the most surprising. Cause I, I think I thought of myself as a super well-learned person Um which is like, I guess, egotistical to say, but I was like, yeah, I got it. Like, I have a good idea of everything. And I'm like, no, you just have no idea what you don't know. So, so that's been fun. I know. I love that because that was, it was definitely surprising and so fun. I had no clue how many cool things I would learn through my children. Oh, right? yeah. Through their yeah. interests and, and seeing them in action. Like it, it completely changed <laughs> how I think of learning, right? And yeah. And I saw so much of the world, like you're, you're right. You have, you, you come to see that you have lots of judgments about the things, not only that we're good at and that we like, or like these things, they aren't worthy because we don't like them yet. They're not worthy to us, but, but then, you know, we see our kids finding, uh, really enjoying so many different things. And then, and then we get a taste of them. It's like, oh, wow, that's so cool, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Joan, for taking the time to speak to me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me ramble on. It was, it was wonderful. I loved all your stories. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Um, so if you go to unschoolrules.com, 
Um, that's our family's website. It's not updated super much anymore. Like I said, because Asher has officially graduated, we haven't done as much, but my hope is actually to get back into that a little bit um, to show people that unschooling doesn't randomly stop at 18. Like we're still living, our, our life is not different than it was the day before he you know, graduated by state law. So we kind of want to like talk about some of those things. We do want to talk about some things around unschooling and gender um, because that's kind of a newer public conversation for us, even though it's been one in our family for ages. Um, so we, you know, we kind of want to talk about some of those issues there. But the other thing there is I have things like copies of the transcript that we did through high school for Ash. Um, I have um, a big look at homeschooling in Pennsylvania in particular and what that looks like for documentation. I have a big series on real world math. I have a big series on unschooling and video games. And I think especially for people who are coming out of the public school system or coming out of another homeschooling philosophy, some of those things can be helpful because they really are kind of like a, a first person look at our journey into like, okay, well, how do we decide that there was value in video games and kind of like walks through our thought process. So hopefully people will find that exciting. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, Joan Consilio. Um, you can look for the green hair and you'll know that it's me. Of us. Um, you know, that's a good way to connect with me too. LinkedIn. Um, and obviously people can just email me. I'm Joan at unschoolrules.com. So that's another good way. That's awesome. Well, yeah. And I will say, I love your website. I spent ages diving around in there and I don't even live anywhere near Pennsylvania, <laughs> but it was fascinating. I really, I really had fun there. Cool. <laughs> All right, y'all have a lovely day. Thanks so much again. You too. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Learn, Five Ideas for a Joyful Unschooling Life. In it, I share the five paradigm-changing ideas that most help me better understand unschooling. Reviewers have said, A quick read, but packed with ideas that challenge the dominant paradigm of our failing approach to learning, this little gem makes an excellent argument for unschooling. And, I was rather doubtful about this book, as I had never heard of the author, but after reading it, I wish that I had read it years ago. I hope you find it helpful, too. Free to Learn has also been translated into French and Spanish. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.